Hello, and welcome to The Embargoed, the only podcast that gives you the unvarnished truth about the world of technology public relations. Our aim is to go behind the headlines to tell you what's really going down and have a little fun in an industry that often takes itself too seriously. Every Thursday, we touch on the top stories of the week, dissecting the worlds of technology, business, politics, pop culture, and whatever else we can examine through the lens of public relations and corporate communications. We promise to be honest, straightforward, and mostly irreverent. We'll never bore you with details about which company announced what, unless, of course, we really like the what. Welcome to the embargo. This is David Oro, Kevin Wolf. How are you doing? Rock and rolling, Dave. Yeah, uh, jamming out with some Sly Stone. Uh, I, you know, I, I know that song for sure. But uh, yeah, I'm looking at uh, looking at his Wikipedia here. And talk about a uh, talk about a busy guy, man. I mean, there's he's like a DJ. He moved around a lot. Lived in the Bay Area. I, I think I saw he's living in a. Uh, in a white van, he's homeless in Los Angeles, which makes him one of approximately 73,000 other Los Angeles residents doing the same thing. But yeah, man, man, good call on the music intro. And, and it's also super hot in the Bay Area today, dude. So yeah, no I don't know how hot it is where you are, but it, it's on fire out here. So yeah, it's hot, man. It's warm yeah. here. Not, not nearly as hot as where I came from uh, the last couple of days, but, uh, but it's warm nonetheless. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because I went on vacation for a week and then you were gone for a few days as well. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was I was kind of on vacation, but I was working. It was a work vacation, workcation, or whatever that is. But you, I think yeah, dude, probably, like going on vacation and hanging out in a hotel room doing work sucks. <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of that. Uh, but let's start with you, man. You were in Puerto Vallarta, is that right? Uh, yeah. So I went. I took a week off and, uh, you know, my wife's going to listen to this and I'm going to tell the story like I tell everybody. I don't tell it to her directly. But during her COVID slump back in November, when nobody knew what was happening in the world, she booked a trip to Puerto Vallarta. I found out like a month later, she told me about it. And I was like, no, I don't know what's going on. You need to cancel that. And she says, OK, I will. I was you know, stuck, tired of being at home. She went to go cancel. She's like, it's non-refundable. <laughs> you, you Just a question, Patricia, if you're listening or when you're listening, I'd like a direct answer to this question. Were you planning to take that vacation without Dave? 
Probably, <laughs> dude. You stumble upon that news about the, that trip, and you're like, God damn it, he, Dave knows uh, now. Now we gotta, now we gotta deal with that. I think well, plan to go solo, Dave. Well, the, the the thing is, is uh, I never saw the language that said it was non-refundable. <laughs> so, anyways, so- the world changed, and we ended up booking it for the for the week right after the kids got out of school, which was last week, and um, we left here. At, masks on in San Francisco airport, masks on in Puerto Vallarta airport, mask in the taxi, mask at check-in at the resort. Once inside the resort, no mask whatsoever. And uh, it was, that's been a long time since I spent that much time without wearing a mask. And uh, it was kind of awesome. On the way back, it was, you know, COVID test after COVID test, paperwork after paperwork, trying to enter the United States. So we took a test in Puerto Vallarta at the resort, and then fill out a ton of paperwork, scan some QR code to fill out some more scanning documents, land in the U.S., grabbed our bags, nobody checked us again. So Dave, here's a personal question. Feel free to to uh, to pass, but are you and your family vaccinated? Uh, yes, except for the two youngest ones who are not old enough yet to get the vaccine. So you, despite that, you still had to take COVID tests on re-entry? Yes. And, and that's backed by what science, right? Like that's I, I don't know. I mean, like, this is still an experimental drug. You know, I, I think they're which just doing proven, due Which was proven 90 plus percent effective, right? <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I think it's- the I point think of getting just... vaccinated if, I mean, this is driving me, this is driving me crazy, man. Like I, I'm dealing with this stuff. We can talk more about it, but I, I just don't get that. Like, well, dude, I, I had a great time on vacation, Kevin. Don't kill my vibe, bro. You've been home a week, man. That, that vibe's got to be diminished by now. Uh, what are you talking about? I came back. Monday was work. It was, you know, getting back to work. And then Tuesday was Freedom Day in the today of California, right? You know, they basically took away all the masks and restrictions. So well, that, it's that great. Was, yeah, see, I think I'm just more pissed off than you in general about this whole mask and uh and and covid stuff it's uh i've got some thoughts on that i'll share but anyway man i'm glad you uh it sounds like you had a good time uh in port of Vallarta. what do you, you're just kicked back right you're in the beach in the, at the beach well you you know me i'm not a very i'm not a, a beach vacation kind of guy nor am i an all-inclusive vacation kind of guy but maybe i am now because it was awesome to sit at a beach and, and get all the drinks and food you want and uh and hang out for for a few days so it was great so. I, I love that part of mexico uh, tiffany and i were in punta mita uh, a couple years ago just dude few- that's that's where i was i was okay. right there in punta mita outside of uh, puerto vallarta we were at a right. place called the marival armory resort okay. yeah yeah i, I love uh, i loved it it's a, it's a great place to spend a few days and uh and reset so uh the kids had fun you guys uh Guys, planning your next non-refundable trip to Port <laughs> yeah. Currently, so. yeah. No, the kids had fun. First couple of days, they were like, "Wait a minute, I get to walk around, I get to swim in the pool, swim up to the bar, order the drink I want, eat all the food I want." They were tepid for like the first forty-eight hours, and that but <laughs> we came along. They were like, "Yes, let's do this all day long." <laughs> so yeah, they got into it. That's uh, <laughs> just you. Well, good, yeah. man. I'm glad you had fun. I uh, I, I took a, a trip. I was in Las Vegas the last couple of days, and uh, you know it was it was it was pretty recreational. Um, but you'll be 
pleased to know, uh, or surprised perhaps to know that apparently everyone in Las Vegas has been vaccinated. <laughs> everyone, of course. Every, everyone. The whole Every, state of Nevada. The whole state of Nevada. <laughs> at least, at least everyone in the uh, in the casinos I was in, um, you know, very very few masks, uh, and you know it was kind of the reverse. Like you know, the people with out the masks are looking at the people with the mask on. What are you doing here? Like, what? Why do you have that mask on? <laughs> like, if you come, if you go to Vegas. Um, you know, you're from, from a lot of these people and there's no conferences going on there now. So I think most of these, most of these people are there on vacation. Um, why are you coming to Vegas to do what you do in Vegas and wearing a mask? I, I, I just don't get it. Like if you're going to come, you go to Vegas to have a, to, to party, you're going there for the most part, right? You're going there to gamble, to, to drink, to indulge, to have fun. Um, none of those things is better with a mask. So yeah, man, everybody in Vegas is apparently vaccinated. Um, the pandemic is over. Um, you know, you can, uh, you can do the whole thing, man. It was, uh, it was fantastic. But, but at airports, you still had to wear a mask and all that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, going in and out, you, uh, you've got to wear a mask, um, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is super annoying um, after, you, um, after you haven't worn one for a couple of days. And it's super annoying, again, knowing that, you know, I've been vaccinated and the people I was traveling with have been vaccinated. And so, you know, the whole thing, it's, it's like, you feel, I mean, I understand like we're in a, we're indoors, you know, it's a transportation hub, people coming and going from all over the place. But if you've been vaccinated, the science tells us that you're very, it's highly unlikely that you're going to get or transmit this virus. So I just don't understand why we're still being asked to wear these masks. Um, I don't get well, it. you know, it, it, it's interesting. Like, so, you know, the NBA playoffs are, are going right now and the Utah Jazz played the LA Clippers in, in Salt Lake City last night. It was 18,000 people plus in a stadium. And I only saw a handful of masks. So it's it's over, according to Utah, Vegas, and a lot of America, which is probably true. But I'll tell you what. California. I, well, I mean, California got released on Tuesday. We did, so, but people are still – I mean, I went so, – so, so wait, wait. Before you do that, I, I think it's going to take some time for people to be comfortable. Like, this whole thing became root – a comfort thing and exercise thing. And that's how you do it. And, and I think it's going to take a while for people to let go of that. They created a habit that they became comfortable with and now they're uncomfortable with it. It's just going to take some time to do it. Uh, as soon as I started going out, one of the first things I noticed was like, <laughs> there's people around me and I'm a very much a people person. And I was still like, eh, <laughs> a little too close, but <laughs> you know, it's just, that, it's, it'll right. take some time. I, I agree. But on the other hand, like I, I kind of assume, and I think I'm, this is probably an incorrect assumption, but I have been assuming that most of us want to get rid of the masks, right? I, I understand that we've been conditioned over the past 18 months to wear one, but you know, like I, I was the kind of person who like, I wore a mask obviously all the time whenever it was required, but I wasn't going out buying like fashionable masks because I never intended to make mask wearing a part of my regular <laughs> you know, my regular outfit like I, I don't want to have a fashion mask I don't want to continue wearing the mask and so like when 
when people are like, hey, if you get vaccinated, you're not gonna get sick or transmit it. I was like, awesome. Then I'll be able to get rid of this thing. And yet when I got home yesterday, I went to the grocery store in my neighborhood. And you know, I, I live in San Mateo County in the Bay Area. I think the numbers are extremely high in terms of the number of people that have been vaccinated. And I would bet that in my neighborhood, it's, it's higher than even kind of broad, broadly San Mateo County. And I was the only person in that grocery store not wearing a mask. You weren't required to anymore. There was a sign on the door outside that said, if you're vaccinated, no mask required. I was the only guy not wearing a mask. And I'm going, look, I, I, what, what the hell is going on here? Like, I get it that, you know, it takes some time to adjust or to change your habits, but like, don't you want to get rid of the mask? Haven't you been anticipating the opportunity to shed this thing? Like, why are you now after not only the federal government, but the state government and the institution, the, the, the business that you're currently in have all said, you don't need to do this. Like, it's not like you need to go through some like, you know, uh, meditative therapy. Like you don't need to like talk to anyone. You don't, you don't need like a counselor. You don't need a policy update. Just take the fucking mask off. <laughs> get back to living your life. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Let me, let, first of all, Kevin, I, 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 I'm disappointed that you didn't get the Gucci mask that I recommended to you. You would have looked good sure. with a couple G's across your mouth. Yeah. Um, would have went well with your Louis Vuitton shoes i'm sure although it would admit Matt, you can't make brands like that um dude like i think you just need i just think you need to give people time and respect that process and be proud that you can walk out there with confidence mm-hmm. um and let those people do their thing I, I think where we get in trouble is when we start hating on people <laughs> for making their own personal choices you know yeah and well, uh, listen, they'll, they'll come it. around they'll come around so if you if to each his own is my thing right and no, it's not like anybody in the grocery store was shaming me for not wearing one which that you didn't get a look you didn't get a dirty look I you didn't get looks, look. but i tell you i would have blasted off man like <laughs> you know, i was just waiting for it but right i i look if you i i had uh i hung out with a couple of friends the other day um and a couple of dads you know we're kind of expressing similar thoughts, you know, uh, to what you're saying. We're basically like, yeah, it's a, you know, I'm not quite there yet. I, there's various reasons, blah, blah, blah. And I get it. And it's fine. Um, I just, uh, you know, personally, and, and I, again, I think it's a California thing. Personally, I just, I don't want to wear the mask anymore. Yeah, I'll get you. I'll I got vaccinated. And, uh, and, and here in California, it feels like, you know, we're just, uh, we're just behind the times. I mean, yeah. traveling to, to Nevada, I mean, nobody was wearing a mask. I mean, it just... Yeah, I'd say this. You know, the mask can go. I agree with you. I don't need it anymore. But I I was speaking to somebody in in Toronto, Canada. There's... And, you know, she happened to be much older than... uh, Not much older. Sorry. uh, Older than me. But she was just now getting her first vaccine. The rest of the world still isn't there, right? And so America is obviously ahead of this. And on industrial side so it's it's still not over though i gotta tell you it feels very much over around here and i'm hoping i'm looking forward to getting back to normal though the one thing back to normal that i might be uncomfortable with and it's weird it's a handshake somebody shook my hand the other day and i was like okay i know this thing passes diseases and colds all day long i I, i'm down for keeping the fist bump Push back there again. Uh, I I like the handshake. I you do. I, I I get it. I get the the tradition and the firmness and the grip and the 
agreement the in the, 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 the yeah. is fine but when you shake someone's hand you're like you're extending yourself to them you're, you're touching them you're reaching out like that's a very personal thing it can be anyway um and uh, here again it's like you're not going to get we go into this months and months ago you're not going to get covid from touching something you're not going to get it from you know, the cereal box that you pick up at the store or the package, the Amazon package that's delivered on your, on your doorstep. You don't get COVID that way. That's not how it works. So you're right. Yeah. You might get something else. You might get a common cold, which by the way, our body- <laughs> I haven't had a cold in a year, dude. I like it. <laughs> you, you might like it now, but like over time, your body needs those colds to build up immunity. to. to things. So it's, it's necessary. I, I was at a party, you know, like a uh, a party for one of my kids uh, sports teams about a week or so ago and I shook someone's hand I went to shake someone else's hand he kind of it's like oh we're doing that now and he kind of went went with the fist bump which you know again I respect it but um, you know here my thing is this like when the pandemic started and the science guys were like hey these are the rules that we need to follow I was first in line and when uh, Gavin Newsom shut down California because things were ratcheting up and when we went into the fall and winter when things got really bad, I was like, whatever we need to do, shut it down, yep. let's go. But now the science guys are like, hey, we know more now and we've got an update and things have changed and people are vaccinated. So live accordingly. And so to me, I'm like, oh, I'm still following the science. And it feels- Yeah, that, that, I, I, I agree like, with you. Uh, you know, uh, it's like, I'm not ready to do that. It's like, well, Okay, but you're not a doctor either, or a scientist, <laughs> or an epidemiologist. So you followed you follow the rules before. Do it now, right? So no, this isn't rocket science. I, I totally agree with you on that one, and I've said that to many people. I was like, "Hey, uh, I followed science before, uh, and science says what it's saying now, and I'm going to go with it." <laughs> so <laughs> let it go. All right, dude. So we, we should move on. We we had a vacation. We experienced the new COVID reality. Yeah, uh, we, you know, we, we, we talk about comms here in PR, but before we get into our regular show, Kevin, I, I want to spend some time on a little bit of a retrospective. Mm. Okay. We're on like 19 or 20 shows. We've been doing this almost every week for about six months, dude. We're like at a, at a mark here and we've went from you and I getting together and this was like COVID blues. It was winter. It was like, oh, we, you know, we can't meet at a bar. We can't talk shop. Let's start doing a podcast. And in a way, it's kind of turned into something. <laughs> and uh, I got to say, you know, I want to thank all the people that listen to the show. No doubt. Um, we are, you know, we're always trying to improve it. We're always trying to deliver a little bit of value and have a lot of fun along the way. And we hope you're getting that. And so we've our, our list has grown. Our, our, our downloads have grown. We've expanded platforms. We've got some exciting and new stuff coming up uh, in terms of branding and a little bit of marketing. So hopefully you guys will be seeing that soon. So we're going to continue to improve it. But if you guys are out there, you know, please share this with your friends. Uh, uh, reach out to us and, and uh, find us on Twitter or email or wherever you can. Just Google our names in a press release. <laughs> You'll find our, find out how to get a hold of us and give us some ideas or, you know, we'll, we'll get you on the show. We'd love talking to folks. So absolutely. You know, couldn't agree more, man. I'm on board. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. I want to keep going. Uh, want to expand this thing. And I enjoyed talking to you and, uh, and talking about this stuff. So I'm glad people are listening. I hope they like it. 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, for me personally, it's, it's helped the, uh, it's helped me embrace the profession, even though, you know, I'm punching it in the mouth sometimes. <laughs> it needs to be punched in the mouth sometimes. <laughs> Too stodgy. <laughs> Too stodgy. There's definitely some stodgy firms out there, which you probably won't find me at. Same with for the companies. So, all right. Let's go to talking points. All right. Formerly yeah. known comms news you can use in the big pitch, but now it's just straight up talking points. These uh, uh, the title, by the way, the title of this segment is like the revolving door in the uh, Trump administration administration <laughs> cabinet. Like every every three days, it got a new name. We're, this thing. we're going with talking points, right? Okay. So, all right, all right dude. Don't print the t-shirts yet, though. Don't yeah, just in case. So the big news this week, from a comms perspective, and we kind of hinted about this in the last uh, maybe a month or so ago when they teased it. But Andreessen Horowitz launches a site called Future. Um, it's an optimistic view of technology. Uh, and it plans to shy away from social and political commentary um, and really just talk about people that are uh, uh, contributing to the future, I guess, really. And it's probably tied into some of their investments. Um, Good thing. So yeah, so there, there'll be uh, Andreessen Horowitz content, um, video, everything. Uh, you know, they want investors to be excited and proud of the innovation that they're helping to finance rather than be embarrassed by it. Or in other words, they're creating their own content machine and ditching all of the media. And so uh, Margaret Wenmarkers was out uh, in full force this week with the press. He was on Bloomberg TV. Uh, and then there was some, you know, articles in Axios, TechCrunch, analysis in the New Yorker, all kinds of stuff to unpack here. And By the way, I, I love, I love how traditional media is super anxious to promote a website that aims to, um, to murder them. Like, that, does that make any sense at all? Like, hey, let's do a, an interview and run a story about why our um, our dwindling viewership and readership should completely abandon us for your platform. When are you available? Like, that's that's insane, right? I don't know if it's insane. I think it's part of their job is to report on news and trends. And so this is something that's happening with a venerable or, you know, well-known an influential uh, uh, venture capital company in the Valley. And, let's, you know, if somebody like this makes a move, you're going to have to cover it. Let's uh, agree to this then. Before we bring a guest on from a, um, from a PR firm that aims to destroy our livelihoods, let's have a conversation about it off the air. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all for being equitable, but um, yeah, I, I, I I, I just, this, this Andreessen site and this whole, you know, notion of, uh, you know, kind of, um, what would you say, like, you know, these companies creating their own media outlets and then traditional media acting as if like, th this is something that is uh, innocuous and not, not a threat to their existence is kind of laughable to me. Um, and I've got other, other issues with the, with the idea. All right. So let, let's go back at this. Every right. company, every company is doing this right now with yeah. their content creation, with their blogs, with their 
they're hiring journalists. I mean, we just had Bruce Upton, the former managing editor at Forbes on here. Right. And we played a little game of who's, who is where. And, uh, you know, we, we've got folks <laughs> that are working at Google. We've got folks that are working at Oracle. We've got folks that are working on Salesforce. All former journalists writing narratives for corporations now, posting it on their blog, doing their own podcast, doing their own newsletters. I, what, I think what they're doing, what Andreessen's doing, is what everybody's doing. They're just doing it in a way that they are actually taking traditional media relations and saying "f you" for the most part, except for the launch of this magazine or this this website. Um, you know, Mark, Mark Andreessen's not taking any interviews on this, uh, and he won't. Uh, they basically said one. no. Did you see that one that he did with that that Substack writer? This was an insider story this week too, where he kind of made some off-color comments. Um, some people thought it was a farce. Did you see that story? No, I didn't see that one. I thought I did a little bit of research on this and didn't see me catch I'll, I'll send it to you after the fact. But yeah, you're right. He doesn't do a lot of uh, a lot of interviews. But Andreessen Horowitz is always in the news, and you know they've got they've got their minions out there. I mean, there was a, a blog that they published uh, last week about I think they called it like the trillion dollar paradox, basically about why cloud is you know basically not not always a great fit for. Uh, for enterprises and, and that mm. was uh that was dissected so you know you know what i did listen to was peter kafka over at recode media he did a blog, blog post uh, not a blog post but a podcast with margaret he says you know it launched today open operated by uh them and and, and margaret gets on his show to 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 explain why her company is bypassing journalists like him but talking to him. And so that's, that, that's an interesting one to hear. Um, and she plays it really well because she's a smart PR pro um, and knows how to handle those kind of tough questions. But Peter follows up his tweet that he wrote on Twitter saying that while I understand concerns about big, powerful institutions making their own media, it's not a new idea and it has its own limitations. And maybe that's where we should probably talk about. And I think that's what I was kind of hitting at is what are the limitations for them? Or what is the limitation for any company trying to produce their own content and producing that? Like things about reach, credibility, et cetera. Like, you know, the reason why PR is, is what it is and given the platform that it is and given the attention that it is, is when big media comes at you or even trade media, there's credibility and there's reach there that most firms don't have. Well, these guys aren't gonna have that issue. Right. So well, in, uh, what, I don't know. Like how many people are actually going to visit future? Well, it's no, Oh, I'm sure a ton. It, you know, it's, you know, Michael Arrington was a, was a venture capitalist, I believe before. No, he was, he was an attorney, but I think he was an investor. He was a, he was attorney turned blogger turned investor. Okay. But I mean, it, it's essentially the same thing. I mean, what I think, so Andreessen Horowitz, in my opinion, won't have any trouble getting people to go to their website um, or for, you know, find, to find contributors. What I don't like about this, and by the way, let, let me back up. So about, I may have mentioned this on the pod before, but probably, I don't know, 10 to 15 years ago, I, I recommended a client do something very similar. So we called it Industry Insights, the program. Uh, but the idea that I gave the client was, why don't you create a blog or a website where you put a bunch of content up there that's related to the business that you're in, 
but isn't obviously self-serving. So there shouldn't be anything in there that specifically promotes your company, your products, your people, your services. What you wanna do is create a, um, a, a, an editorial site of sorts uh, that's, you know, that's unbiased and objective and that your, uh, your customers, partners, prospects can all come to and learn something about, uh, about your space without being hit over the head with your story and your message. And this, uh, the client at the time loved this idea. Um, we, we put it together. I helped them develop content for the site. Uh, and then I, and it was a success. And then we replicated that formula over the years. And I've done it for a number of clients. And I still think it's a great idea. And it is, so th this isn't new. So back to Kafka's point, right? That this isn't, this isn't a new idea. Uh, the difference is that the companies that I work with tend to focus on, uh, you know, kind of a niche in their industry, right? They, they provide a certain software that solves a specific problem that's used by a relatively small segment of the population, typically within IT. And so its reach is, um, and influence is going to be minimized by, by their own reach, by the size of their organization, by their, their audience, their general audience. That's not true with Andreessen Horowitz. So these guys have massive reach, massive, um, you know, they, they, uh, they're, the companies that they're within their portfolio uh, touch every segment of um, uh, of industry, and so they're going to you know have the ability to put a you know all kinds of content on there. And very soon, we won't remember that future. I think that's the name of the site. That future is an Andreessen site, and we will just consider it another media site. And that is a problem uh, because it's not because they have a specific agenda. And I, I watched that. Bloomberg TV interview that um, their PR person gave. And I mean, she, she was very blunt about it. She's like, we're in business to make money. This is, a, this is one of the ways that we're going to do that. Um, and so she was clear about that, and, and which I appreciate. But we cannot, uh, we should not forget that, uh, we should not confuse future for a strictly editorial site. It is not media. It is not traditional media. And uh, we need to be cautious about that. So you should be applauding them for running right. because they, they are creating rich content to share um, for people who want to come visit their site. I mean, I think the content's good and they have some pretty high standards, you know, uh, and, but, but you, you, you've done this yourself and I've done it before too, where you create a site that is, Oh, what do they call those things? It's not educational or, promotional but it's there's a word for it <laughs> forget what it is but basically you know it, it, it's something to attract an audience that are interested in something whether it be networking gear or ai or machine learning or iot sure uh you create a community that's around that forum. yeah i mean we, i mean that's a tactic of public relations is to create it is. uh communities and drive attention towards something but, but that's you know. my problem with it right there, right? Is it once, so it's one thing to have like a small, like it's one thing when like, you know, the, um, the community of owners of Labrador retrievers gets together and creates a website to talk about, you know, the, the latest tips and techniques for training and caring for labs. I, I, that's fine because I think anybody who goes to that site is going to realize that the people that put content on this site have a very specific agenda, have a very specific focus, um, and their opinions on the matter are likely to be biased by 
those experiences. Whereas when you go to future, uh, I'm sure over time, if not immediately, you'll find that, you know, it's very unclear that, like, for instance, I, I think this was in, this was in the New Yorker story about this site, I think, or else I saw it in the, yeah, I think it was in the New Yorker story. There's no, you know, when, when someone posts an article on future, it's not clear that they are, how they're related to Andreessen Horowitz. They're not disclosing that connection. So they're not saying, hey, these guys, the guy who wrote this article is actually from a portfolio company or they're, you know, they're an LP or, you know, they're a part of an LP or, you know, they're, they're, that connection is not disclosed. So it's just, it's going to be very confusing. And over time, we're going to forget that uh, Andreessen Horowitz with its very specific agenda about raising money and investing in startups and growing those business so they can turn a massive profit for their partners. We're going to forget that aspect of it. We're just going to go to that site and go, hey, this is another news site. And it's not. Yeah. Well, they are taking pitches from everybody there. So if you're a PR pro, you can pitch them. It's find it on the web, go to the future site. There's a place for it. And they have guidelines for written pieces, written pieces. There's a pitch form. There's you, they're going to do a podcast. If you're going to pitch a book, come in there. Uh, you, you know, know I think I, be interesting. Let, let me ask yeah. you this. Do you think so? So one of the reasons they started this site, n- not the only reason, but one of the reasons they started this site is probably because likely because they weren't getting the attention Sorry about that. They weren't getting the attention or the stories written about them from traditional media that they wanted. So they thought, well, screw it. Like, we'll just create our own site and then we won't have to deal with, you know, editors that don't get back to us or reporters that write stories from a perspective or with an angle that we didn't want. Do you think that now that they are in the editorial seat or the reporter seat and PR people are pitching them, do you think that they will act any differently? Will they be less smug than the editors that they um, resent so much? Will they be more responsive than the editors that don't get back to them? In other words, do you think that their experience being the pitcher uh, will change now that they're the pitchy? Well, I, I think, no, I think because the, 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 wait, I'm the pitcher, they're the pitchy. Okay, all right, yeah. Right now, now that they're, the they're receiving the pitches, do you think? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we're gonna be, we're gonna yeah, be, yeah, yeah. we're gonna be responsive. We're gonna like get back to no, people. No, no, they're not. No, not like listen. Everybody that's reviewing this was a former journalist, right? So that's an editorial team inside Andreessen Horowitz, and I think it's gonna be much harder. Um, you know, I, they say it on their website: the editorial bar is high. They will review and edit for credibility, position proportional claims, and more. They have a strong bias for first-person maker insights. They don't want a normative take. This is a place to say should, uh, but rather could. But we do welcome frameworks for how to think about things. But so do you think like when they were, when that PR person and their PR team were pitching stories before, or as they continue to pitch stories to traditional media, you think they're using should or could in those pitches? They're definitely using should, right? But now that they're on the other side, they're going, no, those pitches should just say should, not could, because, you know, we really want these stories to be credible and objective. And, you know, we want them to be uh, without, you know, we're not, we're not looking to publish your narrative and your message. But on the other hand, that's exactly what they're pitching to traditional media, including when they're pitching the site. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about you. I mean, there's some places that are easy to take 
uh, contributed articles or pitches or, or thought leadership pieces. But the higher up the food chain you go, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, et cetera, it gets super hard, right? Sure. You, you, need, you almost need to be a head of state for some things. And, and I've worked with some very high level CEOs who have market influence and gotten rejected by major publications, even though I, everyone who reviewed it and, and looked at it thought it was awesome. Uh, because they know that the problem is for many companies out there is even if they want to hint at self-serving, they, they, they don't want to be self-serving. They always hint at it. And journalists are very good at sniffing that shit out. And, and like, you know, it needs to be, whenever you write a byline piece or a contributed piece, you know, it needs to be for everyone and not just about your company, your position. Yeah, by nature, those those thought leadership pieces are self-serving, right? That's the reason that you have the author's name and the company URL attached to it. Yeah, but I'm talking about the certain content that's in there, right? Yeah. And like I try to explain to clients that just having your name on there is going to make it matter. That, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It just, yeah. you know, I think it takes a certain gall, a certain level of nerve to, on the one hand, say, you know, to be out there pitching, which I'm sure the Andreessen Horowitz folks, PR folks are doing, to be out there pitching all the pubs, traditional, traditional media that they're pitching and saying, you know, um, you know, pitching whatever story they're pitching and trying to influence and convince these editors that their stories are important and need to be covered um, and they need to be covered in a certain way. So they're out there doing that all the time and have been for years and will continue to do so to traditional media on the one hand. And then on the other hand, as they're now receiving pitches, they're going to say to us, to PR people, uh, yeah, you know what, we don't, um, we don't want to hear your narrative or your promotion or your trend, all the same stuff they're doing on the other side of the fence when they're pitching traditional media. Now they don't want to hear uh, now that they're in the editorial seat. Um, yeah. And I, I just think that's, uh, that's, uh, you know. Well, uh, here's the thing. Margaret did say that, uh, did say that they are not a news company, really. It really is going to be a thought leadership piece. They're not going to cover news. It, it is just, you know. That probably won't hold. Bubba. By the way, I'm sure they will. Uh, they will not write about news. Who wants to write news every day? That 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 is, you know, soul sucking cycle. You know, sorry, why? journalist friends, but I mean, you do that for a living. But if you're trying yeah. to like make money for a VC firm and do marketing, you know, reporting you know news you, every day is going to be hard. It is, but you you don't have to do a ton of it, but you do it because it brings in readers. And it makes the site more valuable and the rest of the content on your site uh, more valuable. So, I, you know, I'll take out the crystal ball here. I, six to 12 months or whatever it is, like those guys are going to cover some news or some of the content that's on their site will definitely have a news slant to it. And they do it because it. Well, I mean, you're going to write about topical things, but it ain't necessarily going to be news. Hmm. Yeah. Time will tell. All right. Well, I, listen, here's where I stand. I, I applaud their efforts. I don't know about their stance towards media, but that's their thing. I don't, I still don't think I would advise people or clients, companies or folks that you, for you to do this, it would take a lot, right? These are, these are outliers in the industry who can pull this off. However, that, however, that you can, you can do this yourself in, in probably in a smaller way. And, you know, Kevin, you talked about it creating your own website, creating your own communities, Absolutely. communities, uh, uh, um, adding value to the conversation, either through your own blogs or websites. 
uh, media relations, whatever it is, definitely do the same kind of tactics. Uh, but I don't know if I would shun traditional media relations for uh, no, no. it. So. Definitely don't do that. And I absolutely agree that smaller companies should look to do this kind of thing. And, you know, again, I just, the, where you cross the line for me is trying to present yourself as a media outlet um, because that's just not the case uh, in the uh, in this future Andreessen Horowitz sense. And I think it's confusing. And especially when you've got so much reach uh, and people are start, you know, people are going to start going to that site, and they're going to take what's there as, you know, in the same way that they would read, uh, you know, uh, a journal story or a time story or, you know, any of the other traditional media. And I, I think that's just a very dangerous place. It's same that we've been talking about on this show for months, Dave. It's like, you know, you go to Facebook, you go to Twitter, you go to Instagram or TikTok or whatever, wherever you get your news from on these social platforms, and you start to believe the stuff that you see there. And you're like, well, yeah. I saw it on Facebook. You know, I saw it on Apple's website. I saw it on Google or whatever. It must be true. And that's not the case. That's why we have traditional media. They are yeah. the gatekeepers to the truth. And the minute we lose sight of that, uh, well, I think I think we lost sight of that. Right? <laughs> Part of the reason why we're in this, you know, messed up media situation that we are. Yeah. Speaking of media, let's go yeah. on to the next thing. There was a report out this week. Uh, that uh, media is on the mend. Axios has reported that um, 963 newsroom jobs have been lost so far this year, uh, down 91% from the 10,000 cuts that were happened last year, meaning 10,000 people lost their jobs last year, only 900 this year. <laughs> so uh, advertising is growing. Uh, things are looking up for journalist even though it's still still um challenging kevin I, I bring this up because earlier in our shows we talked about the heyday of tech pr you know it was in the you know dot-com bubble and maybe up until about 2005 2007 where there was just publications after publication and not only were there publications there were ad pages so it was supporting the publication so they could hire more reporters and throw them on exclusive stories and they could take time to write things out. And then we, we, we talk a lot about like the decimation of media because of the rise of Facebook and ad dollars going down. But then I, I kind of looked at my list of clients and then I looked at my media list and I'm like, there's actually still a decent amount of publications out there. I mean, you've got the big tier ones, wall street journal, New York times, uh, um, uh, the Washington Post, whatever. And then in the trade, there's there's still a ton of trade magazines out there, particularly in tech. And, you know, they might have morphed in things. You know, if you look at the tech trades, it was a lot of networking for a long time, Information Week, InfoWorld. They're still there, probably in a smaller form. But there's new stuff like the new stack, the next platform, the register's still killing it. There's actually still a lot of media and a lot of opportunity out there. And... This obviously is good news if you're a journalist and wanting a job or wanting to keep your job. Uh, that's great. But, you know, from a PR perspective, too, I I'm just going to say there's still some opportunity out there, despite it being harder than it was in the past. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and it, looking at this article, it looks like uh, ad spending is supposed to grow $78 billion this year uh, to an all-time high of $657 billion. So when I look at that, 
the job loss stuff. I mean, I think it's pretty clear why newsrooms or, you know, publications had to scale back last year, right? We don't need to re recover that, right? I mean, the yeah. pandemic hit and, and everything went to shit. But uh, I wonder if, you know, some of those jobs that were lost more recently, that was at 963 since the beginning of the year, whenever it was. Yeah. I, I think that probably has something to do with a continued shift away from full-time jobs to more freelance roles. So you mentioned a minute ago that there's still a ton of publications out there um, in this, you know, tier two, tier three and beyond space. And you're, it, it seems like, hey, you can still pitch InfoWorld, you can still pitch eWeek and you can still pitch. And there's some new publications. I think a lot of those writers are freelancers, at least the folks that I deal with, many of them. Yeah. Because it, it just makes more sense. I think it, it gives these newsrooms more flexibility uh, in their payroll and in their kind of committed cost. Uh, so I, I think maybe we'll still see some of those jobs go away. So the numbers, you know, we, we may still see some job losses, but I'll bet that a lot of those jobs, especially as advertising money comes back, they're just, that money's just being shifted from yeah. full-time employees to, to freelancers. Yeah. And, you know, it's been a dynamic space. I mean, I mentioned some tech pubs, but look at Vice, look at BuzzFeed, look at Insider. All those publications just did not exist at the beginning of this century. Right. So there's there's new stuff happening there, so it's on the mend. I thought I'd just bring that up. Yeah, it's good, um, man. It makes me feel yeah. good. I, I like as I think you can tell from our conversation. I, I really think traditional media is important. Um, I, you know, it's very intentional on my part. Whatever, 10, 12, 13 years ago, to not get into the social side because I, even then, I it just doesn't feel it, right. I mean, it, you're. Social media and non-traditional media is really just someone's point of view uh, and, and their ability to gather eyeballs. Whereas I, I really believe that traditional media is important, uh, you know, in our- I, We side. should have a- I don't want to we, should have a we should get a social media pro on here one day and have a debate about that. And Let's do it, man. Anyone yeah. listening out there that's an expert <laughs> in social media and its merits, if they can find any. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome to come join us. Yeah. I'd love to All right. Let, let, let's uh, quickly go through a couple more things and then we'll wrap up the show. So uh, this is this is starting to be a popular one. Dumb shit PR agencies do. Mm. All right. All right. So uh, let, let's um, let's start with this one, Kevin. Uh, since we're talking at a high level. People who pretend PR is rocket science when it's clearly an art. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, do you want to take this or you want me to? I, I would go for it, dude. <laughs> uh, all right. So, you know, PR, it, you know, everyone wants to measure it, which, which, is, which isn't a bad thing. Um, but uh, I have, in my experience, you know, when we were working at, at the PR firm, um, it was much easier to explain what I had done that day or, you know, what success or, or failure that I had had by just kind of talking about how I did my job and what transpired and why it worked out the way it did. And, and as opposed to saying, well, you know, I made 12 calls and sent six emails and I got three, you know, no replies. Because it, it's um, PR can be science based. You can measure it. You can keep track of all of those metrics, and that's important. 
But if you really want to know how I'm doing from uh, in terms of the work that I'm doing for you, it's much easier for me to say, you're going to get more value if I say, hey, you know, I talked to this person and I tried to explain what we were, the story that we're pitching. And they politely explained that it really wasn't a fit for their publication. And, and here's why they're not going to cover it. And, you know, I kind of went back and, and offered a different perspective. And they came back once more and said, you know, I've considered that. And it, and, and to me, like that is, um, that has nothing to do with like, yeah, that would be like a zero for one. Like if you wanted to know how I did today, it was an O for one, but there's a lot more to be learned in uh, about the, about the, um, the success of that pitch by hearing about like how I went about it and what was communicated between the parties. So my point here is like, I think that's a, that's what's lost sometimes when agencies or clients for that matter, are like, give me the numbers. Like how many people do we pitch? How long is that media list? You know, how many hits did we get? How many mentions do we get? It's like, yeah, I can give you all that. But what you really want is the, the nuance. What you really want to understand is like, what was this process like? And what did we learn through it? And what was the type of engagement we had? And how did they receive it? And what did we learn from it? And there's just, that's the art. That's the art. Yeah. So, that, that, here's what, what bugs me, and it ain't necessarily what agencies do, although I've seen agencies do what you just described. It's when the rocket scientist tries to explain the art of PR, mm. <laughs> right? So you've got, you know, we work in tech, the developer, the engineer, whoever it is, is coming in asking for hard data and why it didn't do that. And I'm like, no, I'm dealing with a human being on the other side <laughs> who has several pressures and the world is moving around him at a speed that they cannot keep up with. Today, you are not important, dear client. <laughs> and that's the reason why you're not getting in the news, you know, so. <laughs> numbers, numbers don't lie, right? Although, you know, one of my favorite expressions is there's, so I'm probably going to screw this up. There's, uh, there's lies there are lies, there are damn lies, and there are statistics. Because at the end of the day, you can, you can twist those numbers kind of however, however you want. And so I, I, but I, I believe in numbers. I'm an analytics guy when it comes to sports, especially. But this PR thing, you know, if you want to present it as, you know, I can count all the pitches and I can count all the hits and I can count all the misses and that should tell the story. It doesn't. It, it really doesn't. And, and I felt, you know, and then this was 25 years ago or 20 some odd years ago when we were on the agency side where I felt pressure to kind of deliver certain numbers, but I, I just felt like that was missing the point most yeah. of the time. So I, I don't know. I hope agencies aren't doing as much of that, but, but that is a dumb thing PR agencies do. All right, let's, let's do one more dumb shit PR agencies do. Okay. Uh, and it's VP selling the business and junior staffers doing the work. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Right. So is that dumb or smart? That's a smart business decision. It is, except it's, <laughs> it's so right. So it's one of those short-term smart business decisions, right? So the VP comes in and she or he sells the business and the client is like, wow, this person gets it. They're so smart that, you know, this is going to be great. Uh, sign the client signs on the dotted line and then they never see the VP again until they're invited over for those expensive bagels and coffee that we talked about on the last pod. <laughs> uh, but in the but meantime, dude, like th that, that happens in almost every business. Like, I don't think people realize that. Right. So, okay. So like, all right, you know, 
lawyers do that. Junior lawyers do that. Or if you if you're in a business or manufacturing, you're going to cut the deal with I don't know. I live here in wine country. Uh, the winemaker is going to come in and sell you on it, and then all the wine and then all the people are going to go pick the grapes and make the wine, and then a bottle it, and he'll come join you for dinner when it's expensive, right? It's like you know, people. That's what leadership does. They get other people to work for them. And, and, and if there's a problem on a manufacturing line because a, a junior employee, you know, did something wrong, like there, there can be unfortunate consequences to that. Um, but what you don't want is a super junior person on the phone with a reporter, uh, giving that person, that reporter, the wrong information that shows up, you know, online and, and crushes your business. So I, I, I get it. Um, I know why it makes sense for the PR agency. It's a horrible idea um, if you're the client because your reputation is really important to you. Uh, what you're talking to the press about, your PR program really matters to you. That's why you've agreed to spend thousands of dollars with this PR firm. And you've got, you know, literally the lowest paid person on the agency payroll doing what you consider to be super important work. So you're right. In the short term, it's great for the agency. They get this, uh, this client on contract. Usually it, it's a retainer. Usually the client can't escape that contract, you know, unless they pay some huge fee. Um, and in the meantime, you've got this junior person with very little experience out there pitching your story and typically coming back with, you know, limited to, you know, to poor results, uh, which, you know, again, I, I, and that's kind of why I started out uh, on my own, whatever it was almost 20 years ago, because I, I really felt there was a better way. I felt the clients didn't really want that. They didn't realize what they were getting into. What they'd much rather have, in my experience, is a seasoned PR person, someone who really takes the time to understand their business and has background and has done this before to come in there and, uh, and, and really crush it for them, to, to really understand what they're doing and what they want out of their PR program. And I, I don't think you can get that from a junior PR person. And, and by the way, I think what happens over time, and, and we've seen this, you and I have seen this before, but inevitably the client gets frustrated. They go, shit, you know, we're not getting the kind of results. Where the hell is that VP who, who blew us away during that pitch meeting? Um, and, and the client gets frustrated and then the client eventually leaves and tells a friend and says, don't hire that agency. And that's how agencies get these lousy reputations. Yeah. Kevin, you you just pulled a Andreessen Horowitz future there. You were kind of selling your services, dude, and doing this content <laughs> marketing thing. <laughs> I caught you, man. I'll I call you out. <laughs> you're right about that. I was selling <laughs> But uh, you're right about that. Shit. I got yeah, you. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm <laughs> Damn hypocrite. <laughs> All right, dude. Yeah. Last, last segment here. Rep, fire, and refer. Mm-hmm. Kevin, I'm setting this up, and this is for you, buddy. Like, I thought of these this week because you, I know you were in Vegas. By the way, in Vegas, were there shows? Were the shows back on? Shows are back. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what wasn't back was the buffet. Oh, yeah. Probably 47% of the reason that I went to Vegas was for the buffet. I love it. 47%. Yeah, 47%. 48%. And, <laughs> and I was super, super bummed to find that not all of them were uh, were open, which again, like is perplexing to me because some of them were and some of them were not. So the ones that were not, did they not open because of a staffing issue? Because of like, hey, we're not ready. We're working on it. Or were some of them like, you know, our scientists here at the Bellagio uh, just believe that the pandemic, uh, that the, it, people are going to get COVID in the, uh, 
in the salad line. And so despite what the CDC has to say, um, you know, our, our on-staff epidemiologist at Bellagio has a different opinion, so we're holding back. I, I'm not sure what the reason was, but I was bummed the buffet at the Bellagio was not <laughs> yeah. uh, But the shows were there, yeah. Yeah, Kevin's bummed there's no buffet in Vegas. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> It's, uh, all right, yeah, <laughs> back to so, rep, right. fire, and refer. All right, you get three. Uh, hopefully, if you need a little background, I'll give it to you. So here are the three. Okay. Amazon worker. Right. Inflation. Mm. Or going back to the office. Right. Uh, okay. And the, the Amazon worker story, this is like a, this is oh, going big, big news, dude. So like, you know, uh, Amazon's black employees say that the company's HR department is failing them. New York Times did a big piece about how Amazon was, you know, treating their employees uh, during COVID and wearing them out, uh, you know. And so, you know, just sort of just, you know, they, they've been taking it to the chin. Uh, yeah. Amazon has, and, and apparently their employees as well. So right. there's that, the Amazon worker is you can choose rep fire or refer to them. Got and there's it. inflation, which is going up. Right. Um, and we don't know what's going to happen with that. And then there's also, you know, now that we're taking our masks off, people have to go back to the office. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm with you. All right. So let me see what I can do here. Uh, I'm definitely going to represent going back to the office. By the way, I haven't been to an office in approximately 20 years. <laughs> But, but that aside, you're going to represent something you don't even do. Yeah, I am. Uh, and the reason, is, you know, again, is uh, I think it's um, I think it's important uh, for m most people, not everyone, but for most people to spend time in person with other people in order to do their jobs better. Dude. I, I know, I know what you're going to say. I have not lived my life that way, but over the past year, I've seen it in, uh, with my kids and I've seen it in, in other jobs I, and, and with friends and, and, and their jobs. It's really important for some people, um, to, to be with other people in order to perform better in their job and to get more out of it personally. I know people who really have struggled to focus, struggled to perform, struggled to connect uh, with their colleagues because they're working from home. And uh, so I, I think we should go back to the office. I, I think you, you have got to be very comfortable with yourself because here you are, you can rip on content marketing at yeah. Andreessen Horowitz, <laughs> and then you can represent going back to the office, even though yeah. you haven't been in office in 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and you're I, not going back to the no, office the either. No way. The, the <laughs> I, I, I don't need to go back to the office, but I think other people should. Yeah. Uh, I just oh, you get to work right now. I'm going to stay at home. Yeah. <laughs> part, part of that is if everybody in my house goes back to work, I'll get back to work. I'll be able to do more work. Right. I, I just think, like, especially for certain people at certain points in their career, you know, it's just, I don't know how you can be effective when you start a new job with a new company in a sales position and you've got to do that remotely. So you don't get any of the in-person training. You don't get any of that spending time with other colleagues in the sales department, figuring out kind of what they're doing and, 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 and kind of just being, uh, being a part of a team. I, I just don't think, for example, that that 
works real well. Uh, and, and by the way, it's like the same thing for my kids going back to school and learning in person versus learning over Zoom. But I think it applies for most people, not including me, but I think most people probably should go back. All right, you're repping them. Yeah. Who are you going to fire? Them. Who are you going to refer? Um, I am going to, <laughs> uh, I guess I'll, I'll refer inflation. Uh, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bummer, I guess, that the cost of goods and services is going to go up. But and I'm no, I'm not an economist, so I don't, 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 uh, don't fact check me here. But like, I, I gotta feel like inflation kind of ebbs and flows according to how the economy at large is is doing um, at any given time. So right now we're heading into what appears to be kind of a boom cycle in the United States from an economic standpoint, uh, and you know people are are spending money and are going to probably spend more of it over the next several months because they're free and able to do more stuff. Uh, and I assume that, you know, when there are people that want to spend money, that the cost of those things that they're buying is going to go up. That's just, I think those things go hand in hand. You're referring so, that. I'm referring it because I, I don't really have, like, I'm okay with it, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I, okay. I, get it. I don't necessarily like love it. I, I don't want to pay more for stuff, but I understand it. And if it's a function of a, of a strong economy, if inflation is a function of a strong economy, I guess I'm okay with it, is my point. Now, if it's not, if it turns out that that's, uh, that I've misread that, uh, anyone who's an economist out there listening, please feel free to, to correct me. But I think that's the case. And if that's true, then, then I'm okay with it. Therefore, I will refer. And, and that leaves me no choice but to fire Amazon. And, you know, we have- It's the Amazon worker, Kevin. No, I wouldn't fire the Amazon worker. I'd well, fire you, Amazon you, that's that's, oh, that's okay. That's the thing. Shit. Well, yeah. I, might to, I might need to rep, rep two people. I'm definitely representing the Amazon. You're going to fire Amazon, but you're going to rep, represent right. the Amazon that's worker. Splitting. That's right. Yeah. That's, I'm going to yeah. split that because, uh, but it's interesting, right? So we had Ben Keeps uh, on, on the pod a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about, you know, how shitty Amazon and Facebook and all the other big tech companies are. And it's all true, but we're also, he also pointed out accurately so that we're also, we're, we're quick to, to beat those guys up, but you know, um, we're also quick to use their services, right? So it's, it's a tough thing. Uh, you, you know, I don't know how many employees Amazon has. It's probably millions at this point. Um, and I think, you know, running an organization that size is probably super hard and you're bound to run into issues in every department well, you're running the issues for sure yeah right so. there's no question about that yeah. uh and yeah i mean if, if black employees are being mistreated and and working you know their their uh work conditions are are worse than the you know than their white colleagues like that's a that's a huge fucking problem like that and i would hope that that would be addressed so yeah i guess dave you're right i kind of screwed this up but i would fire amazon and rep the amazon worker um so yeah <laughs> there you have it but well, you, you got vacation brain on dude I'll, 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 <laughs> that'll just have to be it today all right well that that's the show it is uh the summer solstice is on sunday night here in in the northern hemisphere so enjoy it and uh, if you haven't taken a holiday yet uh, we should, we suggest you do it. I think, uh, Kevin enjoyed it despite not having, having a buffet at Vegas. <laughs> I did, man. It was great. I'll tell you what, last thing though, 120 degrees in Vegas. Today, yeah. <laughs> it was brutal. 
other than yeah. that, it was fantastic. All right. All right. We will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the show. Absolutely.